Hey everybody, welcome to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. This is none other than Reverend Kojo. I'm so glad you decided to join us. You know, we are picking up where we left off last time, and so I'm just going to recap. We started Genesis 1 last week, and you know, we went through it, and it was, we, we journeyed through, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we explored what many scholars believe to be truth. We also went through... Uh, what the scriptures say verbatim, we uh, we tapped into some of the things that I believe and some of the things that I want you to be like the church in Acts. And I want you to dig these scriptures deep and come up with your own analysis of them. I'm going to share with you what God has shown to me. And hopefully uh, we'll get the same thing because if it's the same spirit, we ought to get the same result, right? That's what I would hope. Uh, I think we left off last week in verse 26. Uh, that's where we stopped. And so we're going to pick up there, get into the word. I want you to get excited about it. I hope that you're listening in front of a Bible. If not, listen to it again or, or go back and read these scriptures because we're going to travel through the rest of chapter one and through maybe the, the rest of chapter two or a piece of chapter two. We're going to really just time ourselves. That reminds me I need to set the timer. And we're going to get on this thing because I really want to dig into this word. We know that when we search the word through and through, we can hear from God. We know that prayer is how we talk to God, but the word is how he talks to us. Now, that's not to discredit those who say they've heard from God, because I believe I've heard from him speak to me in person. But if you want to know what the will of God is, the will of God is his word. And so if you are curious whether you are walking in his will or his way, get in the word. And if you'll get in the word, the word will get in you. When the word gets in you, it will begin to make fruit like they talk about in Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the spirit. We know that they are love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, meekness, gentleness, and so forth. There are nine of them. But we know that we we plant this good, good, great things, this, this word on the inside of us, we can get something. So without further ado, let's dive into the word. I'm Reverend Kojo. And this is what I have received. So we left off in verse 26, verse 26 of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, 26. And it reads, I think, what am I reading from? The King James? I'm reading from the King James Version. Verse 26 reads, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and all, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Okay, so this is like a very, very uh, familiar verse of scripture for anybody who is a Sunday school scholar who grew up in church, who grew up in Bible study. If you had a praying grandma, I'm pretty sure that at some point in your life, if you have been around the Christian faith, you have heard this passage of scripture. And But the, I think there are a lot of things that we can dispel in just this one verse alone. So here's the first thing. The first thing is that, and God said, let us make man in our image. Sometimes I think when we look at the Old Testament versus the New Testament and then Revelation, we want to make this differentiation between God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. But I think this is the first opportunity we get to establish the deity of God having three heads. Now, we don't know at this very point in scripture, if we're reading from cover to cover, like we are here in Bible school, um, but we, we get to understand that God is this mysterious creature who apparently has some duplicity about him. So what am I saying? There is a multiple, there are multiple personalities or persons in God because he says, let us. Now we know that the Bible is an interconnected web of messages that have been written over thousands of years that were compiled and are the unadulterated word of God. So because we know that they are the unadulterated word of God, we can be sure, we can be confident that every word was intentionally placed the way that it was placed. Now, here's where it gets sticky and it gets sticky for me. When you're not sure of the context or you're not sure that something was conjugated well, this is where we see parallel Bibles and we see uh, word studies and concordances come into play because some words do not mean what they're written because we realize here in the United States, we read translations, okay? Uh, I I wanted to spell that early in this Bible study, um, you know, I'm I'm expecting to have thousands more because I do want to make it to the end of Revelation. 
Uh, but I do want to establish that here today, that in the United States, us English speakers are not reading the original word. You may know that, you may not know that, but I want to make sure that we have an understanding. And I want to make sure we have an understanding because some people believe that the King James Version is what God said when he walked the earth. Jesus Christ was a Jew. Jesus Christ spoke Hebrew. Uh, I believe he spoke Aramaic as well. We know that the Old Testament is primarily written in Hebrew. You've got to understand the Hebrew language and how they, uh, they, they spoke on that day. Now, here, here's the reality of it. In the United States, we read translation. Just like in China, they read a Mandarin translation. Just like in parts of Africa, uh, they read a Swahili translation. Uh, in France, they read a French translation. Uh, now, if you talk to a Jew, that's probably about as close as you're going to get to it. Um, if you talk to a Greek, uh, the New Testament is probably going to be just about as accurate as it is, uh, barring it being changed uh, for accurate, for, for, you know, what people do. They go into revising. Now, here's, here's what I want us to understand. What we're reading is a translation, but what you can do so that you can guarantee, well, hopefully guarantee that you get an honest interpretation of what the word is, you can do a word study study. So here are a few ways that I do a word study, and I promise we can get back to the scripture, but I think this is really important for you in your personal Bible study time. So in order to do a word study on such words, if you read something in the Bible that doesn't make sense to you, or, or you're like, oh, why does the King James say X and the NIV, the ESV, and the Amplified say something else? I want a word study. What did the original version do? You can pull up first your concordance. That's going to be the simplest thing. Now, what the concordance is, the concordance is a, a listing of all the words in the Bible and where they appear. Now, if you have a Bible printed and you're not like on the iPad, it's probably not an exhaustive concordance and it probably won't give you every word. Now, there are, you can go, but you can go get what we call an exhaustive concordance and it will show you every single time one word is used and in what context it was used. Here's an example of what I mean by context. And when we get through the Bible, we'll probably talk about love a lot. Well, we know in the Bible, there are, in the Greek, there are multiple words for this word love. Now, in the Bible, in English, we see love appear typically just as love. Uh, King James may say charity in 1 Corinthians, but the rest of the translations just say love. And so we may not understand what type of love? See, the Greek, they listed off a, a number. They said phileo love. That's, that's brotherly love. They said storge love. That's familial love. That's what I got from mommy and daddy. They said uh, agape love. That's what God has for us, unconditional love. And then they, they said uh, eros love, uh, erotic love, or marital love, uh, sexual love. And, and so, but we use this one word, love, and if out of context, you may get the complete wrong idea about a situation. Now, that's not to say that these words cannot overlap or might have dual meaning or that they may not be able to be applied. But sometimes we will miss what is being said. So let's get back to the scripture and why I just took this discourse. So verse 26 said, and God said, let us make man after our image. So like I said a couple of seconds ago, that is how we first, we, that's the first hint that there is God is God in multiple person. So we know God, you know, later on, we're going to find out God is God in three person, but that's the first hint because he didn't say, let me, well, I'm going to make man. He didn't say, uh, I, you know, I shall make man. He said, let us make man. And then he does it again. So you see, it's no accident after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Okay, so we, we establish here that first God, it has multiple personalities. Now, we don't know yet who God is. We haven't been introduced to his great love just yet, but we get this idea that he is, we, we know, we know, we're not polytheistic, but we, we're serving a God who says, let us. So we know that 
we can go ahead and draw this conclusion that Jesus was there in the beginning. Now we know John clears that up for us in first in, in John one in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Um, we clear that up that God and Jesus were both there and that they were in the same person. Um, and later we'll hear about the Holy spirit, but this is the first hint. He says, but after our likeness, and I think this is one of the biggest blessings. And I know we're only in Genesis one, but this is one of the best. This is one of the most amazing things to me because we were not his first creation. You know, you know, we talked about last time about the gap theory and what people, you know, they talk about this idea of the pre-Adamites. And and I, I believe you need to study this word and get your own idea um, and and figure out what you believe, because what you believe and what I believe may be different. Um, and we, we kind of have a little bit of leeway because there's a period there in that space we talked about. And so whether the, the history continued directly at verse 2 or whether history did not, you know, that's going to be between you and your revelation time. But, but continuing on, he says, uh, let, let us make man after our image and after our likeness. So there we can, we can, we can go ahead and ascertain just a few things. We can first ascertain that he says, we're going to look like us. So you're going to have characteristics like God. Now it doesn't say, let us make them gods. And I think some people get that wrong. Uh, you know, we're kings and queens. We are kings and queens, but it didn't say that we are God. And some, I'm, I'm serious because I know some people, especially in, in certain movements that are going on across the world right now, trying to reclaim some time and trying to reclaim some space. Oh, we're gods. And then they look to this scripture and they try to make themselves look, 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 look. Later on, well, later on, we'll get to uh, when Moses was given the Ten Commandments. And he, he made it very clear, God did to Moses, that we are to have no other God than his God. And so it doesn't matter, little g, big g, we're not gods. Now, he did make us in his likeness, and that means that he gave us characteristics similar to him, whether that's physical characteristic or that's mental characteristic. And we'll see as scripture we go on, we, we are given the same speaking spirit. You know, the Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. We just watched last time as God spoke life into this thing we call earth and existence. We watched him speak and trees began to sprout up. We watched as the life cycle began, became a thing. We watched as he caused the water and land to be separate. We watched as he hung the sun and the moon in the sky and caused one to be dependent on the other. We watched as he did all of these amazing things. And But he gave us the same speaking spirit. Now, just because he gave us the same speaking spirit doesn't mean that he gave us the same dose. Okay, I hope you're following me. And so I, I, I don't want to confuse you and I don't want you to think that we are God, little g or big g, but we do have characteristics of God. Uh, he said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth. So here's one of the coolest things, and I didn't realize this until a couple of years ago because I was afraid of animals for a good little bit of my childhood, despite the fact that I'm allergic to a lot of nature, and so I kind of stayed away from them for a good portion of my childhood. But here is, here's what, what's, what happened. Somebody told me that when you're getting chased by a dog, you stop, stand in the middle of re the road, scream, and look them in the eyes. And if they're not the alpha dog, they'll run away. And if they are the alpha dog, if you hold, you hold uh, your eye contact long enough, they'll, you'll become the alpha dog because they'll bow to you. And so what we fail to realize is that he gave us dominion. That is not, that was a force of nature formed in the beginning that we actually have dominion over the animals. We only lose such dominion when we give it away. And as we study more and more of the word, you'll see that there's a lot of things that we give away Things that were given to us that we give away because we don't know what the word says about us. Okay. The word will do the work if the word gets on in, on the inside of you. That's why it's so important that you know this word and that you allow it to fester on the inside of you. That's why it's so important that you walk in this thing and you know it because y'all, I, I, this is two dogs that live next door to my grandma, my parents house. And most weekends I go home and spend the weekend with them, and, and, and we worship together at a home church. 
And there's these two dogs, and maybe it's three of them, and they're little scrappy little things. They like to bark and like to be intimidated, but they're little tiny little things. They look like little gopher rats, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they're not too big, you know, and they're fussy or whatever. But the moment that I show that I'm not afraid or I move toward them, they take off running. They're petrified of me uh, until they realize that I stopped running after them, and then, then they come back after me. So one day I took off running after these dogs, and they were running for bloody murder. They were afraid. Why? Because I had dominion. There, there have been situations where I got chased by a dog in sixth grade because I was scared. I'm willing to bet that had I looked at that dog and looked him in the face, looked him in the eyes, and asserted my authority, he would have done whatever I said do. Why? Because I have dominion. Call me crazy. Go try it. A lot of my friends do not understand why I'm afraid of, well, I'm not afraid. God didn't give me a spirit of fear. But why I don't do scary movies, but I'm not afraid of just about anything on this earth. This is the reason why. This scripture, I took it to heart several years ago and indoctrinated it into what I am and who I am. And so even when I'm walking through dangerous situations, I used to ride through the hood and be petrified, locking doors. I'm not afraid anymore. I, 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 would, I would come across animals and freak out. I'm not afraid anymore. Why am I not afraid? Because of this scripture. He gave us dominion. And if you understand what dominion is, if you have an idea of how dominion works, you have no reason to be running from creation. Now, granted, we are creation, but we are the creation he gave power to. And since we're the creation he gave dominion to, why would we run from something that we have been given authority to? That is like parents who have no control over their children. I think it is one of the saddest things in our day is to see some children run around, run over their parents. These, these children were entrusted to the parent and the parent is running from the child because they have not exercised their authority. And, and you'll say, oh, well, we want to treat them like little kings and queens. Well, in order to treat them like kings and queens, at some point they have to be treated like the, uh, they have to be treated like princes and princesses. And that's not just putting a crown on their head and patting them on the behind. That is entrusting them with the responsibility of who they are and what they are. That is showing them that even though you are a prince and a princess, you have dominion, you are wonderful, you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you the way that he made you and he loves you. That says, but he also put you up under me. So you have to understand, you have to fear me and you have to fear God. My little sister said something to my parents some years ago. I think she might have been six or seven years old. And, and this kid was acting up on his mom, and his mom was having a hard time. And Aaron, my mama looked at Aaron. She said, Aaron knows better. My kids are scared of, uh, of me. Aaron looks at my mom, and she says, I'm not afraid of you. And it was one of those moments I'm sure my mom was like, whoa. Aaron said, she said, I'm not afraid of you, but I'm afraid of what you can do. That's how dominion works, okay? Dominion is defined as sovereignty or control, the territory of a sovereign government. To have dominion means that you have authority. It means you have complete control. And so it's not to say that you have to be afraid because here's the reality. He gave us dominion over the earth, but he has dominion over us. Who he's supposed to. But see, in order to have dominion, there's typically some, some, uh, some mission that has to take place. And we're going to get to that, uh, especially as we move through the scripture. But there is some submission that must take place. And as we're dealing with this submission thing, we have to deal with this God thing and this God complex and understand the hierarchy. He gave us dominion over everything on this earth, but we have, we are supposed to submit ourselves to him and to the Lordship that he has placed over our lives. Okay. And so I, I you know, we, we dealt with, we dealt with that. Uh, but I, I want you to understand this because this is, this is, this is a crux, the crux of much of the doctrine. And this is the crux of much of how you walk, walk in your life, because I don't want you to walk in your life and expect, uh, be afraid of everything. I, I know somebody who, who is afraid of everything. 
will watch a scary movie, but but is a petrified to go in public. Thought talking about, oh, they might. I'm small. They might take me. They might hurt me. Oh, I know a lot of somebody's, a lot of somebody's that are close to me. Oh, they might hurt me. You know, it's so much going on. Well, the reality is, if if God has given you dominion, and He has given you power and authority. All you have to do is exercise your authority. It's like this. If I have a gun, let's say my gun is my dominion. If I have a gun, but I never load my gun, or if I load my gun and I never, ever get ready to pull the trigger on my gun, my gun is just as worthless as it was at the store. But if I know how to use my my, my weapon well, and I have been trained in it, and I'm prepared to use it when it's necessary, I have just now been able to exercise my power, my authority, and my sovereignty, okay? You were given dominion at the foundations of the world. And not and he gave you dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, and all the earth over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. He went on and said everything else because he understood that there were some things that we would discover that he had not yet revealed in Genesis. And so I, I, I think it's important that we understand that God has really, really blessed us in 26, but we are, it is a charge we have to keep. When we were growing up, my mom often uh, would say, with every level comes new responsibility, but it also comes new freedom. So, you know, as a kid, you always get excited. Oh, man, I'm about to turn 10. At 10, I get to stay up to 8.30, no more 8 o'clock. And so we'd be so excited about this new, uh, uh, this new freedom. But I, I missed the fact that I was going to have to start cleaning the kitchen. Oh, man, I'm turning 13. 13 means that I can go and, and I don't even, what did they let me do at 13? means that I can go and hang out with friends only for an hour, but I can still go but I missed the part about she was going to try to get me to wash my clothes. Ugh. Oh, man, I'm turning 16. Man, I can drive a car. My parents are going to buy me a car. Oh, that's awesome. But I missed the part <laughs> about I'm going to have to take my sister to school and pick her up after school every day. New responsibilities. So he gives us, he gives us this charge, but we're also responsible for, for this thing called the earth. Um, and, and, you know, that's my shameless plug for how we treat this earth and how we are depleting it and, and we, we, are, we are not regarding it well. Um, but that's just a shameless plug. Isn't that lovely? We've been on one verse for so long. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So he created, he created a man in his own image. He made us look like him. And he gave us... When in the image of God means that he gave us similar to qualities. He gave us similar, to, similar authority. He gave us similar power. And he made them both male and he made them both female. Um, <laughs> I could expound on this scripture, but I think if I do, it'll get a little controversial. So if you're curious what my opinions on uh, verse uh, 27 are, you're going to have to email me or do lunch with me. And I'll tell you what I think about it. Verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and every living thing that moveth upon the earth. He blessed them, and this was his blessing. He said, be fruitful and multiply. So he says, "Get they don't know, hey, 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 I'm giving you all of this, but I want you to be able to leave this for some other people. I want you to be able to leave this so that other people will follow you. And if that is the case, be fruitful and multiply. And, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm curious here. He says, replenish the earth. Now, if you remember the last podcast, we talked about, you know, the, this idea of the pre-Adamites and, and the gap theory and, and, and all of these other things, these theories that between verse 1 and verse 2, that there was a large pause <laughs> in what happened there. Because he, but then, I would be moved to believe that verse 28 would support such a claim because it says replenish the earth. If this was the first time God created, ever created the earth, you would think that he would say, plenish the earth, fill the earth. 
He said replenish as if in order to replenish anything would, would suggest that there was something there before this time. Um, and that would support a lot of scientific claims. I said it last time, and I'll probably be saying this for years to come. I believe that science points directly to God. Sound science points directly to God. I believe that that, that science is not a tool to disprove God. I believe it is, a, it is a tool to prove God. And I would just say that that verse, would, that one word would point to a lot of these theories. Now, we weren't there. And the unadulterated truth doesn't exactly tell us what happens in that gap because it's what? It's a gap. Uh, but I do believe that that is something that, that is, that is we can quantify that it's possible that there were millions of years in between God created the heavens and the earth and verse 2. Verse 29 says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life. And I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. So, and this is, now this is actually a scripture that a lot of people use. Um, yeah, they use this one to say, oh, you need to be vegetarian or you, only, you need to be vegan and I see where you could get that, but I, I like meat. <laughs> I do. I do. And, and it is true that the body does process vegetables much better than it does meat, but I like meat. Anywho, but he, but he says, behold, I've given every herb bearing seed. So, the, you know, we talked about this last time, but look, one of the foundational things of the gospel is seed. Seed sowing and seed bearing, seed reaping and seed harvesting. Uh, we know that the seed is, is basically the foundation for life. Everything starts with the seed. Whether the seed looks like that or it looks like some little swimmers, everything begins with a seed. Uh, we, even, we even see um, things that recreate on themse themselves start with a seed at some point. Everything begins with a seed, and, and he, he makes that point. And he, but what I like about it, he said, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the, of all the earth. I have given you, so I have given you dominion. And then I have given you the tools to subdue and multiply this earth. So he gives us the command to be fruitful and multiply, to replenish the earth and subdue it. And then he says, and have the dominion. Uh, he's already declared that you have the dominion. And then he says, I've given you the tools. I have given you every seed. I have given you the trees that will yield fruit. I have given you the nourishment to feed this physical body. So there is no excuse for you to miss what I've done. There is no excuse for you not to carry out my plan. There's no excuse for you to go and go to the left or do anything that I have not ordained or have not allowed. I have given you the tools. And because you have the tools, stick with the tools. And so, you know, we, I think we, we try to come up with these things. And, and I wouldn't even take a sidebar here. And again, search these scriptures day and night. Do not trust the thing Reverend Kojo says. I'm telling you what I believe, thus saith the Lord. I'm sitting here with the Bible in front of me. But you go back and read this word. You go back and, and tell me what you believe. Or tell yourself, tell the Lord what you believe. And you reconcile this. But here is my sidebar. Bar. Do not make doctrine of this. This is just something that I've, um, I've noticed. He says, um, he says, I have given, he says, I have given every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree which is the fruit of the yielding seed. And to you it shall be meat, and for every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. So, he, <laughs> he says, he's, I've given you all of these things, every, the fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. And I've given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And that evening and that morning were the sixth day. 
I know I was going to make a point, but you'll learn that I lose my train of thought and I just going to chalk it up to the Holy Spirit saying, don't say that. Uh, but I, I've just read, I just completed chapter one. And I, I want you to notice a couple of things. In chapter one, after God completed a day, he looked at the things that he had completed and he said it was good. In chapter one, we see an incorrupted world, uncorrupted, clean, pure, whole, holy, wonderful, beautiful. Uh, we see a world that doesn't have blemish and, and, and uh, doesn't have issues. Um, and, and one of the things about it is that God created it without flaw. Now, we know here, if you've been in Sunday school, uh, you're aware that we make mistakes on a regular basis, that we screw up all the time. But in our indiscretion and in our issues and in the mistakes that we make, we live with a perfect God. We honor a perfect God. We honor a, a majestic God. And in his workings, he, could, is, he was incapable of creating something imperfect. Now, as we get into chapter two, we'll see the creation of Adam and Eve. And as we look at the creation of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were not made imperfect. They were just made with free will. And they were influenced by the Lord of darkness. But we know in verse 31, he says, and he, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Okay, so just a few things. Sixth day. Sixth day is the number of humanity. I know a lot of people want to associate six with um, e evilness uh, because they, they think they've heard some things about Revelation. And six seems to be associated with uh, the devil. And it is his mark, you know, triple sixes. But actually six is the number of humanity. And we know that after this chapter, humanity will be flawed. Um, and because we know that much about humanity and its flaw, six is often seen as a number of imperfection. Uh, but on the sixth day, <laughs> on the sixth day, he did the last of his work. Now, he doesn't call it complete until the seventh day. And we know seven is the, one of the numbers of completeness. It doesn't mean divine. That's nine. Nine is divine completeness, but seven is the number of completeness. But on six, he did all of the work. Okay. And you know, when we get to Ruth, we'll talk about the kinsman redeemer and, and they'll use some, some allegories and some things that will tie us back to this number of six, um, and seven. Uh, but, but I want you to see here that, that the evening and the morning, that was the sixth day. It was important that he let us know which day he created everything. Um, because on the sixth day, he made man. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? On the sixth day, he made man, and six subsequently becomes the number of humanity. But in also being the number of humanity, it becomes the number um, of imperfection. Um, but, it, and it, but it's going to require, this is what I love, it's going to require a seven, a completion. It's going to require God to do what we'll see in the rest of the word. And I think that's just absolutely beautiful because I think we got a little more time. I'm going to keep talking. Um, so uh, Genesis 2 just continues on the story. I believe it's a, a point where he just makes a, a differentiation. Um, and he says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Hmm. So here, and I hear, here's one of the cool things. So thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. What does that mean? The amplified version says this. So the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. So, uh, and, and the amplified says inhabitants. Um, and we can look at that and we can assume because we know hosts typically as in the Bible is associated with the word heavenly host. And heavenly hosts are typically what we know as our angels, um, those who are angelic forces. But it doesn't say angelic. It just says and the, all the host of them. And so we can assume from what we know about the word is that it is the inhabitants. We can assume that he's talking about all this stuff that he did here on heavens and the earth, um, you know, in this in this six-day period. 
And verse two says on, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. Okay. Seventh, seven, seven, seven is completion. But notice this verse six, it appeared that he was done, but he didn't say he was done until seven on day seven when he rested. Okay. Here, why is that important? He's, he's making an example that rest is a part of the process. Mm. Hold on to that. Rest is a part of the process. Okay. A lot of times we want to get the work, 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 work done. And we never stop to rest. We work and then we move on to the next project. We work and we move on to the next project. And some of us, it's work. But for others of us, it's relationship. Mm. For some of us, we are in relationships so often that we have not taken time to rest. And so we have not replenished. Ooh, what happened in verse chapter? We remember that we, re we replenished earth. We have not taken re time to replenish. We have not taken time to get better. We have not taken time to get to, to mourn the loss of anything. We have not taken the time to do anything. And so we drive ourselves into hole. Now, sometimes we drive ourselves into an emotional hole. Other times we drive ourselves into a mental hole. Other times we drive ourselves into to a hole uh, physically. And, and at the end of the day, what he's in, God is saying here is, look, you need to rest. If I need to rest, you know, God, almighty, mighty in battle, you know, never sleeps or slumber, says he needed to rest after six days of work. You need to rest too. You need to rest. And, and, and look, take it from, take it, take it from me who is always on the go, always moving. Always a movie. Y'all, I'm living in two time zones right here while I'm recording this. Yeah, you read that right. So at 6 p.m., I'm in, Aust I'm in the Australian time zone, which is the equivalent of 8 a.m. At 6 p.m., it's 8 a.m. at my job. So I'm signing in to my uh, Skype to be on Skype until about 2 to 5 a.m., depending on what kind of day we had. And then I lay down for my phone to start ringing at 9 a.m. in Birmingham to work my other jobs and, and, and have to tend to those only to crash around 3 o'clock, get a one, one to three hour nap to do it all over again. We all need rest. Rest is imperative to our human experience. It is imperative to the success of our, of our, of our life. And God mimics that at the very beginning. He want, he established that before we even screwed up. That's how important rest is. Okay. Moving on. Verse three, and God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Now there are plenty of doctrines that are built on this scripture and that is fine, but we'll learn that there is a reason that most Protestant well, most Christians do not worship on Saturday. We worship on Sunday. But according to the Old Testament and according to those who are up under the law, it, it, we'll see it's not law yet. But we'll see why it's important uh, that they rest on the seventh day. The seventh day for most is Saturday. And God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it. Sanctified means to set apart. Now, some people will mean that it's all scrubbed clean and it's all speaking in tongues. Sanctification. Now, it, it can include those things, but it is not. It's not the definition of sanctification. Sanctification means that it was set aside, that it does not fit with everything else. And to be sanctified, I understand when people say they're sanctified and then all that stuff and they be, you know, all, all you know, they do, they do a whole bunch of stuff. But, but to be sanctified means that you are set apart. And that makes sense. The seventh day was set apart. The seventh day was not like the other six days. The other six days you worked. The other six days he spoke. Things happened. The other six days he was busy making sure that things were coming together. And you imagine, you look at around you and look at the earth and all the intricate details. I would imagine even in his speaking spirit, it, he had to do a lot of work. There was a lot of detail work that went into creating this thing we call life. And, and because what we know of God is that with the details... He did a number of wonderful things. Um, he had to, he rested, and, and I, I, I'm grateful that he made that the template. Verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens 
and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and before every plant of the field was in the earth and before every herb of the field grew and for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground but there went up from a, up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground and the Lord God formed man of the dust. Oh, well, let's stop there. Let's stop there. Okay. And and before every plant of the field was in the earth and before every herb of the field grew, the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. So, I, you know, I believe that. And, and if you, you're, you're probably a millennial like me, you probably saw the movies Ice Age. And if you saw Ice Age, you know they didn't have rain. Uh, they had well springs. And so if you walked around, they had water just shooting up out of holes. Uh, and that's how God chose to water the earth. And later, when we get to the story about Noah and him wiping out the earth, we'll see the first rain. But up until that point, it had not been uh, it had not been rain. And he makes that point. And I'm, I think it's pretty important that he makes that point here in Genesis two, um, so that when we come upon Noah, we'll we'll see that detail. Um, and every plant of every field was in the earth, and before every herb of the field grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. That's kind of deep. And so he says... And before every plant of the field was in the earth and before every herb of the field grew and for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. We got there. And he says he went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole, he, he watered the ground. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth. So, you know, we talked about the dominion in the process and here we see more outline view of God creating man on how he made man. And he makes it clear. See, he didn't have to give us as many details as he gave us uh, in his creation of the world. Give us as many details. Um, I think it's important that he did give us as many details. We, we can notice that, that there was, there was some something special about man, that there was something important about man, that there was something that God valued highly about man. Uh, and, and so he says, he formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And so I think it's wonderful that he took something inanimate and created something not only adamant, but uh, with a soul. This is the first thing that he's talking about having a soul. Now, we know the angels are going to have a soul, but if I'm not mistaken, we haven't talked about them yet. Uh, but what we see here is that he not only takes the, the the smallest grains and and what would be viewed as the cheapest of materials and he makes this thing that he says he gave dominion to he makes this thing that he says he gave sovereignty to he makes this thing that he says is going to run this earth that, he, that is made in his image and in his likeness that it has this power of life and death that has the power to to call things as though they weren't that aren't as though they were he he takes dirt dirt clay boop like dirt and from dirt he creates humanity this this powerful uh, uh grouping the species of people and he creates humanity i think it is one of the most amazing things that he takes to something that we would not put any value on and he creates something that is going to be so valuable that he he will kill his own son for and, you know, of course, we are we're probably uh, several hundred podcasts away from that. But I think it is absolutely amazing. And I think it attests to the type of God that we serve. It attests to the type of God that we have, and, and not only in his craftiness or in his creativity, but the fact that he can take nothing and literally turn something. I'm willing to bet that somebody listening is going through something. Somebody listening has, has at their wits end, and it appears that they don't have two pennies to rub together. But remember that God took dirt and he made man. And so if he can take dirt and he can make man, I guarantee you that he can take the air and he can cause your circumstances to shift. He can take the things that are, are 
are hurting you, that are plaguing you, the things that seem like you have nothing, the relationships that seem broken and make them beautiful, cause them to, to produce great fruit, cause them to move on your behalf. I'm so, I'm so fired up at the fact that he took dirt and out of dirt, he caused man. I mean, not just man, not just, not just like an animal. Like he, he's created these animals, these animals he's already made and he's given them names. He said, Adam, you can name them and all of that good stuff. But what he does is he takes this thing that has no value and he makes the most valuable thing on earth. Come on now. He, he actually looks, he doesn't even put a ransom on the, on the life of, 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 of the angels he doesn't care about them. When we learn about Lucifer and his the fallen angels, he didn't even care about them. He didn't offer a redemptive plan for them. He wasn't concerned about their well-being. They screwed up. He put them out. But he's going to go through all these great lengths for the thing that he created out of dirt because he loved us just that much. We serve that God. We don't serve some God that, that just was just walked up one day and, and he decided he was going to put on a crown and he wanted everybody. to. But no, we serve a God who is truly, truly like, like beyond crafty, beyond creative. But he is just like there are not words to be able to begin to surmount his deity. And so I, I, I'm convinced that whatever it is that is plaguing you and keeping you up at night, whatever it is that is not allowing you to sleep tight, it is well. Because if he can make you out of dirt, baby, if he can form you from dirt, I know he can turn your situation around. That was just my inspirational moment because this is definitely Bible study and not sermonic <laughs> spotlight time. Um, and God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. He formed Adam. Now, um, he put Adam there. Now, there I've, I've, I've long held a theory, and again, this is not doctrine. Uh, this is just something that, that I've noticed in Scripture, that it is very possible that God created other men the way that he created uh, Adam and Eve uh, because he made the command to to be fruitful and multiply. And then later we'll see he made commands that we not uh, intermingle. And then if we think about that thing, in order for <laughs> Cain and Abel to be multiplied, they'd have to multiply uh, with their mama. And I think that's a little sick. And it may, you know. Uh, and so we see that he placed Adam and later Eve in Eden, but that does not mean that is where he placed everybody. Okay. Uh, that does not mean that that is the only, those are the only people that he placed that way. But that's also not doctrinal. That's just, that's just me reading the word and trying to decipher it and make sense of it. Now, out of, uh, and he, and out of the ground uh, made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, I want you to knowledge, notice that there are three types of trees here. Um, you've got the tree that is, that is good for food. You have the tree of life. Uh, and then you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, we're going to get to those three because we're gonna, this is not the last time that we'll see the mention of the tree of life uh, in Scripture. We'll actually see the tree of life mentioned throughout scripture and very heavily in Revelation. I'm actually teaching a, a series on Revelation to a different group of people, actually to two different groups of people. Uh, and we'll get there. Uh, I want to make it from cover to cover through the Bible. And that's understanding that the Bible is not chronological. But I want to try to make it chrono, uh, through, through cover to cover of this word. Um, but I do want you to put a, put a pen in your notes Notice that there were three types of trees here. There are the trees that are good for food, and then there is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, just, just, just to break down what that is. Now, the, the trees that are good for food, uh, obviously that's like an orange tree, a peach tree, uh, 
that's like a banana tree. Um, all of the things that we're familiar with and pr- probably any uh, anything else that we we like or want or or any anything good like that um now you're gonna we're gonna hear about the tree of good and evil really we're gonna hear about that really soon we're gonna get get some pieces of it um now uh according to the Hebrew Bible, the tree of life. Uh, is is also a component of this world tree motif in the book of Genesis like we are the tree of life is described in, in um is described as the is being planted near the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the midst of God now i believe that the tree of life is like the tree of life to salvation uh, the pathway because later in scripture we're going to see that there are angels guarding the way to the tree of life when um, some stuff gets hairy here in a little bit um, but I do believe that it is almost like a way toward God and, 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 and I believe that it was guarded for a reason and we'll get to that as we, we go through here but also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so I want you to think go back to when you were a baby and you probably don't remember how babies don't really know the good the difference between good and bad and after a while, they kind of get an idea, and then they start being little tricksters, and, and it's what, well, the knowledge of good and evil is what keeps you in, the lack of the knowledge of good and evil keeps you innocent. And if it keeps you innocent, it kind of keeps you perfect. But once you eat of said tree, it, we become corrupted, and then we have to need things that we didn't need before. We become embarrassed and we get all these emotions and all of these thoughts and, and these things that didn't happen before. You know, if you ever watch a baby, most babies, as long as they are fed and changed, they are happy. Uh, it's when they, they aren't fed or they aren't changed, uh, they haven't slept, that, that they get a little fussy. They don't, honestly, they don't matter if they're naked. It don't matter if they're clothed. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, not too much else matters. Because they, they're not making a difference between good and evil. Now, you know, babies are really good receptors of, of who's good and who's bad really early on. But for the most part, a baby is rather innocent until the baby begins to understand this corrupt world that it lives in, right? Okay. And so, uh, the, uh, and so what we see is that we're going to deal with Adam and Eve and they're dealing with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that tree is important because that tree is, is kind of what flips the world upside down and, and, and everything that we know it and, and the reason we're going to need a plan for redemption, uh, the reason we're going to have to have a lot of the issues we have today all happens at that tree. But keep moving. Actually, we're not going to keep moving. That's the time we have today. I'm glad you decided to join me here today for a Bible school this has been Genesis 1, 26 through the end of uh, chapter 1 and verses uh, chapter 2 verses, I think we ended at verse 9 and we'll pick up at verse 10 next week. Now, make sure you, you're visiting ReverendKojo.com. I've got a lot of stuff for you there. I want you to pick up on that. I'm trying to, we're going to get from cover to cover, but I also want to make sure that we teach this thing and we understand what thus has said the Lord. All right. I love you. And until next time, this has been Bible School.